Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast, Phoenix, Arizona. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I'm the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Those are the words we're going to really focus in on today. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Reading on. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again, this command I received from my Father. Success is not the same as fulfillment. In fact, I would venture a guess that in our world today, we have a lot of very successful people who are feeling quite unfulfilled. In fact, who are feeling emptiness in their lives. And It's sad to think that we live in one of the wealthiest countries of the world, one of the most powerful countries that has ever existed on planet Earth, and yet rates of depression and emotional illnesses are are rising higher and higher every day because people simply feel emptiness in their hearts and in their minds. And all the, all the more sad because of what Jesus says and what we just read today, that passage that I pointed out, that I said is the one that we really want to focus in on, where Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. John chapter 10, verse 10. You'd think, wouldn't you, that if a person were, were very successful that they would feel more fulfilled. I mean, you could pretty much use your power or your authority to get people to do whatever you wanted. You could use the money that you've gained from your success to buy whatever you needed. So you'd think that the natural conclusion would be success equals fulfillment. I was doing a little research, and uh, I encountered a man on the Internet by the name of Rick Brecklebaum. Rick Brecklebaum was an executive with ExxonMobil. Now, you have, to, you have to believe that a guy who's risen to the very 
top levels of ExxonMobil has got to be a successful guy. He's got to have plenty of money. In fact, in the story about Rick Brecklebaum, it points out that uh, in his 50s, he was already getting retired because he had plenty of money. He didn't really need to work anymore to, to earn money. He had made enough at that point that he could think about retiring before he ever entered his 60s. And yet, this is what he said in the article. Several years ago, I was challenged to think about what I had accomplished in my life and what I would do over the remainder of the years I might be allowed to live. My upbringing, education, and career were centered very much on accomplishing, being all that I could be. I truly was blessed to be born in America to an upper-middle-class family. My parents instilled in me honesty, integrity, hard work, value of money, and the education that it could buy. And the education I received was the best that money could buy. I got a Bachelor of Arts from Stanford University and an MBA from Northwestern's Kellogg School of Business. I married my high school sweetheart, we headed off to New York upon graduation with the MBA after joining one of the world's largest and most successful companies. My early career was very much focused on advancing up the professional ladder, and I eventually became an executive manager with over 17 years of experience, living, working, and raising a family, and doing most of that internationally, living outside of the USA, experiencing the whole world. However, it's a big however, however, in, inside I started to question how shallow, pure, success-oriented living was. Much of society's emphasis on values of money, possessions, power, prestige, pleasure, etc. seemed to be so empty and so non-fulfilling. For example, how much money was enough? And did it really buy happiness? The news was filled with many unhappy and unfulfilled multimillionaires. I also saw examples of power corrupting and pleasures so short-lived that often lead to devastating consequences for families. Here's a man at the pinnacle of power in one of the most powerful international mega companies there is, and he's saying success does not equal fulfillment. That's what he's experienced. If you read into the Old Testament, you'll encounter a man named Solomon who also was at the very pinnacle of success. And he writes a book by the name of Ecclesiastes. And the whole theme of the book of Ecclesiastes is success... In this world, life under the sun, as Solomon calls it in that book, does not equal fulfillment. And so this morning, really, what Jesus is encouraging us to do is ask ourselves, what, what's our true goal in life? Is your goal to be successful? Or is your goal to be fulfilled? What's the difference between success and fulfillment? Well, let's talk a little bit about that for just a moment, just briefly. Success, even according to Webster's Dictionary, is essentially reaching your goals. 
You, you set out to do something and you achieve what you've set out to do. It's attaining the outcome that you desire. Webster even associates that with many of the status measuring things we have in our society. If you look in his definition in the dictionary, he says it is the attainment of wealth or favor or eminence. That's success. And to be honest with you, many of us, that's exactly what we're pursuing. Wealth or favor or eminence. And how's that different? from fulfillment fulfillment is when we have a sense of inner peace a sense of satisfaction and contentment with our lives and with where our lives are going and isn't it interesting that we can have all of those trappings of success and still here in our gut feel so unfulfilled and so Very, very empty. And so fulfillment is exactly what it says it is. It is a feeling spiritually and emotionally and mentally of being full. You know that feeling that you get after Thanksgiving dinner, right? Where you've had the turkey and the cranberry sauce and the mashed potatoes and all the trimmings. And right here in your gut, physically, of course, You feel full. Jesus is saying that there is a way spiritually to walk around in everyday life and have that feeling of being full. Not physically in your stomach, but in your gut. Spiritually and emotionally and mentally. To feel fulfilled. Now, there's a couple of caricatures about Christianity that we need to deal with on this idea of fulfillment. There are some who, who teach or some who have, have drawn a picture of Christianity in listening to the teachings of Christianity that essentially say if you want to be fulfilled, according to Christians, you have to be poor. That in essence, all Christian fulfillment is about walking away from every possession that you have. And yet, how biblical is that? I I can give you plenty of examples of people in the Old Testament and the New who were Christ followers, and yet were not exactly poor people. Starting with the founder of Old Testament Faith, the very example of Old Testament faith that Paul the Apostle brings up in Romans chapter 5. You know who that is? Abraham. And all, all Judaism looks back to, to Abraham as being the father of Old Testament faith. And Abraham was a very, very wealthy man. The point is this. Fulfillment does not necessarily mean Walking around in abject poverty. In fact, I put a, a passage in your crosswalk notes. If you'd uh, pull those crosswalk notes out to me, out with me, I want you to take a look at this prayer in First Chronicles chapter four, verse ten. There's this man ca- ca- called Jabez, 
And First uh, Chronicles chapter 4 talks about a prayer that he uttered to God. And I want you to notice what the outcome of that prayer was. Jabez was an Old Testament believer. He found himself in some problems. He calls out to God in prayer. Look at what it says. Jabez cried out to the God of Israel, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. I want to have physical blessings, he says. Let your hand be with me and even keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. Notice those five final words. What does it say? And God granted his request. Jabez prayed for, in, in even our worldly terms, some success in his life, and God granted it to him. All I'm saying by that is don't buy into the caricature that says Christian fulfillment means giving it all away. That's not necessarily the case. It is the case that Christian fulfillment is mentally and in your heart giving it all away meaning turning it all back to God, the God that it comes from. And saying, God, how would you have me use this physical wealth that you've blessed me with? In other words, it's being giving and unselfish and turning to God for guidance on how he would have us be good stewards and managers of the physical wealth that he gives us. That's another whole sermon. Let's take up the second caricature about Christianity and what it means to be fulfilled. There are some who have either taught or again believed that the essence of Christian fulfillment is not poverty, but wealth. That's the other extreme caricature. That if you become a Christian and if you begin to really follow God and walk in his will, that is inevitably going to mean that you're going to experience all kinds of physical blessings and that you will never have any pain or sorrow or suffering in your life. You will never be asked to carry a cross and you will essentially just enjoy unlimited health and wealth and prosperity. And that position about Christian fulfillment is likewise an inaccurate caricature. Because Jesus clearly told his disciples, if you want to follow after me, I'm going to take up a cross. You need to know that. And anyone who follows after me is going to have to also be willing to bear their own crosses in life. Paul the Apostle said, it is through many tribulations that we enter the kingdom of heaven. The Bible does not ever give us an unqualified promise of physical health, wealth, and prosperity success in this life. In fact, just the opposite. It tells us very often that our sufferings are there to help us give glory back to God and to to show shine up on his grace and his power rather than our own. Take a look at the second passage I put in here. Paul was undergoing some pain. He had, uh, he, he had something going on in his life. He calls it his thorn in the flesh. And he prays that God would take away. And, and here's God's answer to him. Very different from the answer that Jabez got. Very different. Same God, different answer. But God said to me, Paul writes, 
My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. He says, I delight in them. For when I am weak, then I am strong in God. When I am weak, I know that I only have one person that I can lean on and follow. And that is the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. Take a look at the passage that we're studying today. And let's let's just take a closer look at verses 7, 8, 9, and 10. Okay, John chapter 10. If you need to, go back up to the top of the page there on your crosswalk notes. Look at what Jesus says there. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I'm the gate for the sheep. I'm the way in, he says. All who ever came before me, they were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. I'm the way to fulfillment, Jesus is saying. Whoever enters through me will be saved. That's a promise you can bank on. You go through Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Not a promise of poverty, not a promise of wealth and health and prosperity in this life, but eternal salvation will be yours. And also little acts of salvation that will be happening constantly in your day-to-day life. You will be saved. And it says, he who enters through me will come in and go out. You'll go about your daily business and he will find pasture. You know, find what you need to conduct your daily life. And ultimately, you're going to find an awesome meadow, an eternal meadow for the sheep that God has designed called heaven. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's Satan. But I, Jesus, he says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I was trying to think of a simple way. To illustrate this for everyone. And imagine that Jesus is is the point of this triangle. All right? We could even, uh, let's see if I got a pen right here. We'll even write it out that way. Jesus is here. He's the point. He's the good shepherd. What he's very, very simply saying to us right here is, if we, the flock... Follow Jesus wherever he goes. If we follow the point of the triangle, wherever it leads, we will find fulfillment in life. Now I'm going to come back to this in parts two and three. But the first simple point is Jesus leads you to a full life. Follow him. Follow the point man, Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, if you want fulfillment in life. A fulfilled life comes when we're willing to be led by Jesus, the good shepherd. But there's a saying that, um, that's sometimes used in the sports world. You probably heard it. Don't forget the one who brung you to the dance. You ever heard that? Don't forget the one who brung you to the dance. What that's usually used by, sometimes by coaches... 
is to help them remember if they've got a playmaker on their team, say on a basketball team of five people, as you game plan, as you strategize, and you're thinking about, okay, how are we going to win this championship game? Don't forget your playmaker. Don't forget the one who brought you to the dance. He's got to be in the game plan. Don't think you're going to surprise everybody and just not use that star player for one championship game. That you're going to somehow cut him out of the deal and you're still going to be successful. Remember the playmaker. And you know, really, in a way, that's what God is saying to us through this text too. Jesus is the point man. And we can't forget the one who who brung us to the dance with God. And I want to go back to illustrate exactly what that means spiritually. That we have to look back and see how we got where we are today spiritually with God and our relationship. That if we forget that, we're going to lose also our feeling of fulfillment. Part of our feeling of fulfillment is remembering who brung us to the dance, Jesus Christ. And if we lose him in the deal, somehow in our daily life, we get too distracted. We're going to lose our sense of fulfillment. We have a savior. One who is the most important thing in our life. Listen to what our friend from ExxonMobil says. Here's Rick Brecklebaum again. I truly experienced the truth of Matthew 6.33 later on in my life. You know what Matthew 6.33 says? First seek the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added to you. First seek the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added to you. I realized when I saw that passage that it was all about doing things in God's strength via the power of the Holy Spirit, not by my own efforts. He's looking back and he's starting to realize, who brought me to the dance? Who, who assured me my sins are forgiven, that I have power in the Holy Spirit? He goes on, later in my career, I finally appreciated the true concept of significance in life. Something that had lasting value and would impact society for generations to come. I noticed that most people who truly had a positive impact on people were others-centered. Pay attention to those. People who truly had an impact on this world were others-centered. And he goes on, he says, not self-centered. As my generation had been taught with our little phrase, looking out for number one. How many people in our society today are looking out for number one? Brecklebaum says... People like President Lincoln, Jonas Salk, Martin Luther King, Bill Wilson, the founder of AA, they acted out of desires to better other people, other generations, those to come. They made sacrifices and they gave up relatively cushy lives in order to serve others and establish a legacy of service, of putting others first. And I was then challenged to consider how my life, write down these four letters in a column, life. Because Brecklebaum's going to share something kind of interesting with us. L-I-F-E, write this down. He says, I was challenged to consider how my life, my labor, my influence, my finances, 
and my expertise, labor, influence, finances, expertise, could be used to have an impact on others. Brecklebaum learned this. Jesus put him ahead of himself. Jesus made sacrifices so that he could have life. And he says, you know what? That was a revelation. What if I did the same? What if I put others ahead of myself? And I shared my labor and my influence and my finances and my expertise so that others could get a leg up. What would happen to our world then? Let's go back to John chapter 10, verse 11, 12, and 13. Look at what Jesus says. I'm the good shepherd, he says. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, what does he do? He books it out of there. Because he he doesn't really care about the sheep. He abandons the sheep, Jesus says. And he runs away. And then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. He runs away because he's just a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. There's a difference between a hired hand and a good shepherd. What is Jesus? What has Jesus been for you? And now, like Brecklebaum, the question is, what do we want to be for others? Do we want to be hired hands who run away when the going gets tough? Who when we see people struggling and suffering, we go, "Mm, man, I don't know. I don't know if I'm really prepared to lay down my life for my brothers and sisters in Christ the way Jesus did. What are you? Are you truly a good shepherd, an under-shepherd like Jesus was? Or are you a hired hand who says, I lay down my life. For the people that I love, that that God has brought into my life. I lay down my life for my wife, my husband, my children. I lay down my life for my extended family of aunts and uncles and grandmas and grandpas and grandchildren. I lay down my life for my brothers and sisters at Christ at Crosswalk. I lay down my life for my neighbor because that's what Jesus did for me. I'm not a hired hand. Jesus was a good shepherd, and I want to be a good shepherd too. Take a look at 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Jesus, because he was not a hired hand, did did not ever put himself ahead of others. You know what a traditional org chart looks like, don't you? Right? There it is, right there. Jesus, CEO, right at the top. Here's Jesus' org chart. One man. And he says, all of you come first. I'm a solid foundation for your life. You can rest on me. 
And even though I'm the point man, and this, this might, in human terms, kind of look like an unsteady structure, don't ever fear to rest your life on me. I am a rock. And I put all of you ahead of me. And I ask you to do the same. Don't be hirelings. Be good shepherds for your brothers and sisters and the people that I put in your life. Okay? So here's our second point. Jesus places you ahead of himself. A fulfilled life comes when we recognize that kind of love that Jesus had for us. You see, when we realize this, that Jesus does this, not only did this at the cross, but does this daily for us now and for eternity in heaven, that's when we get fulfillment because we rest on that solid foundation. You want fulfillment, rest on Christ. True fulfillment comes when we respond to Jesus' love and then we say, I don't want to be a hireling either. Too often, we want success without sacrifice. And is that even possible? I did, a, I did an internet search again. I typed in the little phrase in quotation marks, success without sacrifice. Oh, I found t- tons of results. I found books about how to go to law school that were subtitled, How to Go to Law School and Be Successful Without Sacrificing. I found books about how to manage your finances and how you don't have to give up anything. You can have all that you want and you can have financial success success too. Financial success without sacrifice. I found career coaching seminars online in which if you would go to that seminar, they would teach you everything that you need to know about how to be an executive leader in a business and experience success in your business life without making sacrifices. There were literally dozens, I didn't count, if not hundreds of articles and books and seminars about how to achieve success without any sacrifices. And then I asked myself, did Jesus achieve success without sacrifice? Or was it really, in fact, the very center and heart of his success that he would sacrifice himself for us? Let's go back one last time into John chapter 10. I am the good shepherd, verse 14. I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And will you circle this next phrase? And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep. He's talking about people beyond the Jews, Gentiles. He's going to send Paul and Peter and the apostles out to them. He says, there's still more people in this world. They're not of this little sheep pen. But I'm going to bring them also. And they too will listen to my voice. There shall be one flock and one shepherd. 
Now look at verse 17. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. Why is that important? Why is that important? Because it tells you that Jesus was not forced to make that sacrifice. Jesus was compelled to make that sacrifice from within because he loves you. He lays down his life willingly. No one took it from me, he says. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I'm God. And I have authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Now flip that over and look at the passages I put. And just notice how many things there are there that just speak about Jesus making a sacrifice so that he could be successful in forgiving our sins, wiping them away, cleansing them from us, giving us the sure hope of eternal life. What does he say? This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning, circle it, as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jesus' sacrifice, atoning means that it paid for our sins, that it brought us back at one with God again. Look at John's description, nine chapters after what we're reading today, about Jesus' death. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. I'm successful. I've done what I came to do. Remember what we said success is. You have a goal, right? You reach for that goal, and you see it to its end result. Jesus is hanging on the cross, and he says, I've reached my goal. I am successful I have fulfilled all that God said that I need to fulfill it is finished and then look what it says with that he bowed his head notice it doesn't say and his spirit was taken from him what does it say he gave up his spirit he gave it up he himself said you go Separate my spirit from my body. He died. He gave it up willingly. Jesus says this very clearly when he's speaking to Pilate shortly before his crucifixion. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? I'm the Roman governor. I have the power. Jesus, this poor, beaten, bloodied prisoner, looks Pilate in the eyes and he said, you'd have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Jesus, and this is our third point, made the ultimate sacrifice to succeed willingly for you. There is no success not with Jesus and not with us, without sacrifice. And true fulfillment in our life is understanding the need for sacrifice at times and understanding the true meaning of Jesus' sacrifice for you. Now let me tell you a couple practical ways that we can pull all this together about fulfillment today. First of all, understand this. Jesus Christ wants you to have a fulfilled life in him. 
And he is the doorway to that fulfillment. That's what he tells us. He says, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the door. You want fulfillment? Come through me. And then finally he says, as we just heard, the reason you have fulfillment is you cling to the sacrifice of the cross that I made for you and you willingly also become a good shepherd alongside of me and you make sacrifices too and you will have a feeling of fulfillment. So what does that mean, for example, about how we can grow into being shepherds with Christ, willing to make sacrifices? Well, I can tell you this. It may happen if you only come to church once a week and hear God's word on a Sunday morning, but if you want to increase the chances of it happening, you probably know where I'm going with this since it's growth group kickoff Sunday, right? Get yourself connected with the Holy Spirit through the word of God. He's the one that empowers you. So get yourself into a growth group. Surround yourself with other Christ followers who believe what you believe and who are going to support the sacrifices that you're going to be making for Christ. They're going to support the idea that you are not a hireling. You are a shepherd too alongside of Christ. We're all to be serving and putting others ahead of ourselves, right? In other words... If this is going to be happening to us like it happened to Jesus, we need support. Jesus was cut and bruised and broken for you. And if this is us up here, this is what life is going to do to us and Satan is going to do to us. You want to go through that alone? You want to be cut and broken and bruised all by yourself? My point is this. Jesus says, just as he made sacrifices, just as he was hurt and bruised and bled for us, we're going to, too. We need support. This is what happens in a sinful world. It's not that God wants you to be beaten and broken and bruised and make sacrifices in a vacuum. It's a sinful world we live in, and it's Satan that's after us. And wants us to be cut up like that. Get in a growth group. The other thing is this. You could look at it this way. Jesus the foundation. Maybe another segment up here of church staff. Another segment up here of volunteer, high capacity volunteer leaders. And then up here at the top, the members. Right? And we're all being cut up. By life. And isn't it good to have support when you're being cut up? And especially, I think, as we think about this cross trained ministry, a lot of what we're talking about with cross trained ministry is just simply to have someone who's watching over all the cuts and the bruises and, and maybe putting some spiritual band aids. <laughs> On those and making sure that staff and leaders and members are being helped when they're hurting. So I wanted you to know that about this ministry, and rather than just have it be uh, a guy 
that we haven't seen much of yet, standing up in front and saying, I'm a new staff member at Crosswalk. See this triangle. You've been cut up by life too at times. I know I have. And I want you to think when you, when you get cut up by life of cross-trained ministry, this is here to help you in a godly way to get through the hurts and the pains of life. And you can access that through our office, just so you know. What are you going to pursue? Are you going to pursue success or are you going to pursue fulfillment? That's really the question of today's message. Success does not equal fulfillment. My encouragement to you is due to Jesus' success at the foot of the cross. We all need to be pursuing fulfillment in Christ. He's the door. He's the good shepherd. And through him, we find inner peace and satisfaction and contentment when we follow him. Take a look at your next steps. One great way to a full life with Jesus Christ is joining a crosswalk growth group. We talked about that. Sign up today on your connection card. Second next step, pray. And ask God to bless you with fullness of life and faith. Jesus has told you that this is the very reason he's come, to give you fulfillment in life. And finally, meditate on and memorize John chapter 10, verse 10, which simply says this, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Shall we pray? Father in heaven, we are so grateful that you sent your son Jesus to to create fulfillment in our life. Even though we're broken and bruised and cut up at times, it is a high-impact life that we're living. And yet, Lord, we know that if we simply follow our point man, Jesus, wherever he leads, we will have that peace and contentment that only Jesus can give. Lord, I ask that for everyone in this room and for the friends that they may have contact with out in our community, that you would lead us, all of us, to follow Jesus, our good shepherd, and find that fulfillment. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.